0: Hey everybody, Pastor Craig here, and obviously I'm not with you in person. We have a little thing going on called a family wedding. Our youngest daughter is getting married today. So thank you for your prayers. Keep celebrating with us as we go through this special day. However, we have a special treat today, J.J. McLeod is going to be bringing the word. J.J. is our church planter for our Cross Creek Justin church plant. Uh, he loves Jesus. He loves to teach God's word. And he's with you live in the house. So give a big welcome right now for JJ McCloud. <laughs> it's always odd getting rounds of applause. I'll be honest. It is not something I don't know if you can get used to or not. But it, man, it is so good to be able to preach to people in the flesh uh, I don't know if you know, but it is extremely weird to preach to this room with nobody in it and it's pitch black and there's these bright lights. It's very hard, um, especially because when you're preaching, you're trying to like connect with people with the Word of God and you want God to do something and you're just like, well, I hope someone's listening. <laughs> Hopefully they're online eventually when this is aired. Um, so it is so good to have you today. Now obviously there's some people who aren't in this room. They, we have some people that are at our other venues on campus and we have people that are, that are online as well. and so. Can we just show them some honor uh, for just being able to be with us today in those places? Amen. I'm, I'm sure most of them uh, would prefer to be here with us today. So we love them and we appreciate them. Um, man, it is, it, is, it is a good, good day. And I don't know about y'all, I'm hoping that... that The fact that we're able to start to get together in person like this is is the signs that uh, COVID is becoming more and more a part of our history and less a part of our reality and our our future Um, because there's some things that I miss. Does anybody have a list of things that they just miss um, but they can't do? Um, One of the things that I miss the most actually is being able to go to the movie theater. Our family loves go into the movie theater. And especially over the last couple of years, since they've got it to the point where you can, you know, purchase where you're gonna sit exactly um, and before you get there, so you don't have to get there, you know, an hour early on a Friday night. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, you don't have to worry about lines and you can show up like 10 minutes before the movie and get your popcorn and all that. It's amazing, right? They have the seats that, you, that like lay back to China and they're like lazy boys, basically, right? You can fall asleep. My wife has fallen asleep um, in a movie, so is my son. It's, like, his favorite thing um, he's he's four he's almost five so it's understandable um, but man I'm really really looking forward to be able to go back to the movies again and uh, one of my favorite memories actually uh, concerning uh, my wife happened at um, a movie theater um, a couple of years ago we went and we saw this movie called The Greatest Showman y'all remember that movie that was a big kind of Christmas hit um, and, you know, my wife really wanted to go see this movie. And I typically was, you know, I'm kind of thinking, is this, is this more like a red box, like wait till later kind of movie? And you all know, have you ever that conversation? You're like, ah, I don't know, we can wait on that one. Uh, that was kind of where I was. Um, but my wife, she loves musicals. I mean, and I like, you know, uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and The Sound of Music as much as the next guy, right? You know, it's, it's good. It's nice. I can, I can do it. But, you know, three hours is, is hard. And um, so I was kind of like, ah, but Wolverine was in the movie. So I was like, okay, we'll go. Um, Hugh Jackman's awesome. If I could be any person it'd probably be him or The Rock, you know, uh, take your pick. And uh, so we went to this movie and we actually went to this movie theater in McKinney because we we lived in Plano at the time. And uh, they had this discount movie theater. And it wasn't like the movie theaters that are discount where they're like eight years old. Uh, It was was current movies uh, that had the old seats where you had to use like all your core strength to not like be thrown forward in the seats y'all know what I'm talking about and uh, it was great because you could go to a movie on a Friday night and it was like six bucks that's a score, right? When you got, you got a little four-year-old, and you're like, hey, we want to go see a movie, but if he's acting a fool, we may have to leave, right? You don't want to dish out $30 and have to go, right? And when we go to the movies, we kind of do it big. We buy, we buy the drinks and the popcorn and the candy. Um, so it's nice when the money that would have went to tickets now gets to go to all that stuff. And so we went and we saw The Greatest Showman, um, and that movie starts off with like a bang. It's like, poof, Whoa, anybody, anybody remember this movie? It was, I was like, oh, what's happening right now? I thought this was a musical. Uh, I didn't expect this. Um, and it was really good. I actually enjoyed it uh, very much. I've, I've watched it multiple times since. We listened to the soundtrack all the time. And, and it, by the way, side note, it's really weird to do any kind of singing from up here like that. So I'm just saying, um, I, I feel just as awkward as you about it. All right. And uh, uh, it, it was really good though. I liked it a lot. And there was this one point in the movie where there was this really, really inspirational, upbeat part of the song, I'm uh, part of the movie there's a song that's going on and I, I see something like in my peripheral moving and I'm like what's going on like does my did my wife drop her phone you know you ever had that your keys like ah, oh, crap like you're fiddling around and you're trying to be quiet and I just see her moving and it, it doesn't stop and so I, I turn and I look like directly at her and she is just rocking back and forth just like jamming to this movie like you would think that she was going to break the seat it was hilarious and when we came to this movie like usually we're pretty good about getting there early, but we kind of gotten used to being pampered and just showing up right before. And so we had to sit at the front. And I I hate that because my eyesight's not very good. I'm kind of like an older person that like their arms not long enough to be able to read their phone or their book. And so I hate sitting in the front. So mind you, this is all happening. And like everybody in the theater can see her. And my wife is very prim, very proper, like debutante school growing up, that kind of thing. So she doesn't act silly in public usually at all. Like I'm usually embarrassing her, like, you know, moonwalking down the grocery aisle. She's like, stop it, right? You're embarrassing me. And so I'm just cracking up because here she is she's just like getting after i thought she was gonna stand up start clapping and singing along it was amazing it was one of my favorite memories of my wife Um, but in this movie this is really a story about a man who grows up poor and he falls in love with a really really wealthy girl and eventually marries her one day and he his whole goal is to try to provide for her the life that she grew up with even though in his time in his day and age like he was a poor man and that just wasn't a thing So his whole pursuit is after all this stuff to be able to provide for her. And there's this moment where he's on tour with this famous opera singer who is super wealthy, super well known, renowned, uh, the queen loves her, all all the things, right? And she sings this song called Never Enough. And in the chorus, it talks about how all the glitz and all the glam and all the fame, all the money, like everything that the world could try to provide for her, she sings a song and she says it's never enough and you know that song in that movie at that kind of apex moment in the film it's not so different than where we find ourselves today in our study in ecclesiastes we've been we started a series last week called under the sun where we're basically looking at the book of ecclesiastes where we see solomon he's referred to as the teacher here and we see him and he's and he's looking to the things of the earth And he's considering all the stuff that the world has to offer. And he has this phrase that he brings up over and over and over again. Throughout the book, he says that everything under the sun is meaningless. Your version may say vanity or worthless. And at the end of the day, ultimately, it is just, it's never enough. So if you're taking notes, it's really simple today. The title of today's message is this, it's never enough. The title is never enough and we're gonna be looking at ecclesiastes chapter 2 and we're gonna look at verses 1 through 11. so go ahead and pull your bible out pull your notes out and turn to there and as you're turning how many of you guys have this is your first series in ecclesiastes your whole life you never remember ecclesiastes in in church before me neither i've never preached it so i was super excited i was like oh this is awesome this is different this is not just John 3.16 or, or whatever we often do as preachers that we love to preach. Um, so this is exciting. Now, let's go ahead and let's pray, and then we're going to jump right into this. Lord, we just come to you this morning, and we pray that you'd help us to see you in your word. Even, even in a, a, a book of the Bible that is it's so different, it's so different. We, we've, we've learned about how everything seems to be meaningless in this teacher's eyes. It's all hovel. And God, we pray that you would help us see that there is meaning in life. There is purpose. There is joy to be found and satisfaction. But God, I just pray as we look to these words that you would help us to see where it's really found. Pray you wouldn't hear me speak. They wouldn't hear me talking, but Lord, they would hear you. And I praise in Jesus' name, amen. So Ecclesiastes chapter two, here's how it starts. Solomon says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? So, right away at the start of this chapter, what we see is is Solomon saying, you know what? I'm going to put on an experiment. And I'm going. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pursue pleasure and laughter and everything that the world has to offer to see whether or not it's going to satisfy me. But it's interesting because right out the gate he goes. "But, But I'm going to give you the answer, and the answer is this: Whoever's reading, whoever's listening, it's all vanity. It, it, it's, it reminds me of uh, The Princess Bride. A lot of movie references this morning. I apologize if that's too much for you. Um, uh, it reminds me of The Princess Bride, where the grandfather is reading to his grandson, Ben Savage. Uh, rest in peace, no he's not, he's not dead, I'm just kidding, he's not in movies anymore um, and he's reading this story and there's this moment where this, this woman they, she falls overboard from a boat and she's, she's, she's afraid of drowning particularly because there's these giant nasty uh, eels, screeching eels that are going to eat her, right, and, and the grandfather's reading to his son and the kid's starting to get scared and so he pauses and he stops, he's like she, she, doesn't, she doesn't die, she lives, and he's like Oh, he's like, I just wanted to tell you because you looked pretty scared and I, did, I didn't want you to think something bad was going to happen. He's like, no, no, you keep reading, right? And that's kind of like what Solomon's doing here. He's like, I'm gonna put on this grandiose experiment, but instead of waiting till the end to tell us what the results were, he tells us from the beginning, he says, guess what? I just want you to know in case you were thinking it's gonna turn out one way, it, it turns out bad. <laughs> it, it's all vanity. It's all, it's all meaningless. It's just vapor, it's hovel. And that's where we find ourselves. So in the spirit of the author and how he starts chapter two here, I just want to do the same. So the main point of today, the takeaway home thing, you don't got to wait to the end, right? Is this, is that everything the world has to offer will never be enough. Only Jesus can truly satisfy our souls. I know, I know that may sound like a Sunday school answer. That may sound obvious. You maybe have been able to predict that. Well, well that's Okay. That doesn't mean it's not true we're going to see here as we look at solomon and this great experiment that he puts on and all the different things that he pursues we're going to see over and over again that nothing that this world has to offer will ever be enough that only jesus will be able to satisfy so let's look to see what he does he says in verse 3 i searched my heart with how to cheer my body with wine um, some of y'all do that too much. Um, and my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Now, this is kind of an interesting phrase. He says, my wisdom stayed with me. I don't know if y'all read that and you go, huh, it's kind of an interesting thing to say. Right? Remember now, Solomon was gifted from God because of the fact that he didn't ask for, for wealth and riches and power and all this stuff. When God said, you could ask me of anything, he asked for wisdom. And so God gives him it. He's, he's perhaps outside of Jesus, the, the wisest man to ever live. And yet, what do we see him doing? We see him engaging in what is probably like the dumbest experiment that could ever be <laughs> entered into, right? But he says that his wisdom hasn't left him. And I find that interesting because it's like he's saying, listen, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm getting myself into. I'm not, this isn't a knee-jerk reaction to some horrific thing that has happened in my life. This isn't, this isn't me being pressured by, by my councilmen or, or by advisors and all that kind of stuff that I need to do something. He's like, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. And, and at the end of the day, my heart is just not satisfied right now with life. So I need to go and pursue this thing. I know what I'm doing. And and I just get in my mind when he says he starts to search all the world. I just, I have this picture that he's like, okay, guys, let's gather up, team meeting. Let's get out the Google sheets and the graphs and the charts. And let's let's consider and look at everything I could possibly do that this world has to offer that's going to satisfy me right? He, he's bringing on the smart, intelligent, moral, upright people, but then he's also going to like his cousin Frankie, who's, you know, doing some shady things, right? And he's like, hey, like, what are some things people are doing out there that these guys aren't thinking about, right? I want to make sure to get the gamut so that at the end of this experiment, there's nothing that anyone could ever say, hey, you haven't tried this. Maybe this will make you happy. Maybe this will satisfy you. Maybe this will give you meaning. So he just, he just maps it all out. He's like, all right, let's go. And what we're going to see is this. It probably took him a really long time. This probably wasn't some short experiment over like a weekend, right? This wasn't some like big, you know, rager at the frat house and then it's over. I did that thing. No, like this is a long endeavor that he's really going to pursue. Everything under the earth that the children of men have sought after, that's what he's going to do. He's going to do it all. Now, verse 4 through 6 say this. I made great works. This is how he starts. I made great works and I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. Do you guys notice the theme here at the start of all this? Solomon. He is at the center of his experiment. It's all about me, myself, and I. And it seems like he's almost trying to reproduce the the garden of eden experience right god makes adam and eve and what does he tell them to do be fruitful multiply tend to the garden keep it right create produce be fruitful like that work was a natural part of the way that we were created as men and as women. And it was good. This is before sin even entered into the world. And he goes, huh, maybe I wonder if they just didn't do it quite right. Obviously they sinned and messed up, but what if I recreated that experience, but I did it big? Like I went real big, right? What you have to understand, it says he, he built homes, he built houses, his royal palace. Do you have any idea how long it took him to build? First Kings chapter nine tells us that it took nearly 13 years. Now, some of y'all have built your own home and you had been a little patient with the contractors and whatnot. Maybe it took a little while. But y'all, 13 years to build his palace. Now, that's nearly twice as long as it took to bu- him to build the temple where God's pl- presence would dwell, right? You'd think that if anybody uh, would have the best home, It'd be God, right? Like where his presence dwells, you think that'd be the nicest place? Solomon's like, yeah, God, that's, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do the details that you gave David. It's gonna be great. But I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to make, feel satisfied with life. So I'm gonna build my house real big, real nice. Not just one, but numerous. But he doesn't stop there. What else does he build? He has, he has personal vineyards. He has personal parks and gardens. He, this place is so magnific- magnificent. It's so beautiful that it takes these pools that would have been hundreds of feet long, hundreds of feet wide, 25 to 50 feet deep. And th- remember the time that this is set in. Like this isn't like current day where this is no big deal. They have, you know, uh, all kinds of different machinery that could dig out these pools. Like this was a lot of effort to create these pools to be able to water all that would be fruitful in his gardens. And he's there and it's, remember, it's all for him. It's his own. And you'd think that maybe this is where the experiment would need to stop i've I've done it having the dream home and the dream yard and the the personal orchard and vineyards and and all whatever you could possibly imagine when it comes to all that stuff that would be enough but the experiment doesn't stop he has to keep going verse 7 says that i bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house I had also great possessions of herds and and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. So for him, it wasn't enough to have an incredible estate, numerous homes to his name, beautiful gardens, and all these things, right? That would have just been mind-blowing, right? Better homes and gardens, eat your heart out, right? He goes, wow, I'm still not satisfied. I wonder if maybe the key is that I have to have the keys to another person's life. I need to go out and I need to buy slaves and I need to be literally in control of their every waking moment, whether or not they breathe their next breath. Maybe if I'm in control of that, maybe if I'm like God in that way, maybe that's what will satisfy me, right? In the garden, Adam and Eve are there and, and the first thing the devil comes to me, is like, he, he didn't really say that. The reason why he doesn't want you to do this. why? Because he doesn't want you to be like him. And we know when we look at the scriptures and we, we look at creation, God tells us over and over again that he's the one who gives us life. Every breath is a gift from him. And, and it's almost like someone's like, well, let me try that for myself. Maybe if I go out and have my own slave, my own creation that I'm in control of, maybe that will satisfy me. And listen, First Kings chapter four tells us when it, it lists out all this food that is consumed on a daily basis in his homes and in his palaces. And when you, when you look at that, most experts think that it would take 30 to 40,000 people to consume all of the food. So this guy didn't just have a, just a, a little thing going on. 30 to 40,000 people that were at his becking call every single day that he was in charge of, that he could wipe out in a moment if he felt like it, that he has bought and they've given, they've had children and his slaves are having children he is going all in on this experiment in every kind of way possible. He doesn't just have people though, but he also has flocks and herds more than any who had ever have had been before him in Jerusalem, right? Like the greatest cattle rancher you've ever known. And you think about their property and you go, oh wow, that would be amazing. Doesn't touch what he had. And he wouldn't have just had herds. He had flocks. He probably had all kinds of exotic animals from all over the world, like tigers and lions and elephants and peacocks and like anything you can possibly I don't know if you've ever wanted like your own personal zoo, but that's what Solomon had and it was for himself. But all the slaves and all the homes and all the animals what would be a dream to many of us didn't satisfy Solomon. He had to move on to the next thing. And this is what we have to remember that everything that this world has to offer us, it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can truly satisfy our souls. Well, he goes on in verse eight and he says, and I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of... Of the sons of men so even though he's already a king and for sure would have already been very very wealthy and he already has all these homes and all these vineyards and gardens like he would have been you'd have been like dude you're so wealthy are you kidding me he goes well maybe I just don't have enough maybe there's just a little bit more success to have a little bit more money to gather for myself like he was so rich so incredibly wealthy that first kings 10 tells us that silver and gold in jerusalem around his palace they were just considered another stone what when you think of heaven the bible talks about how like the streets will be paved with gold someone's like i already did that that was normal no big deal I ate, my forks were made of gold, my cups were made of gold. I can just imagine him out on, on his porch. You guys remember those, those really inappropriate kind of awkward commercials with the husband and wife in their, in their bathtubs out on, outside? You know, I'm talking about like, who does that, right? That's just weird, right? I can just imagine him doing that in his gold tub, out looking at his vineyards, petting his tiger, you know, just like this crazy, like wild dream. And he's like, that's his reality. He's really doing it. And yet, all that money, it did nothing for him it did nothing for him so he's like all right well money doesn't do it how about singers some of y'all you live for the concert do I have any concert people out there like your favorite thing to do in the world is to go to a concert right some of y'all you can't be in a car for more than five minutes without headphones in, listening to music right? I was a student pastor for a long time. Nothing drove me more nuts than that. With teenagers, being in the car, instantly pop headphones. I'm like, are you serious? You can't just talk to me for five minutes. Stop it, right? If you're a teenager here, you do that to your parents, please love your parents better. Don't do that to them. It drives them nuts, okay? They love you. They want to talk to you, right? That's what he's thinking, right? So he goes, man, I don't care how many concerts you've been to. I don't care how great your, well, I was going to say CD collection, but that really dates me, right? Uh, your, how, I don't care the Spotify playlists that you might have, right? This guy was like Journey and the Eagles and, and Queen and whoever else that in your mind is good music would be, you'd be on your playlist. He's like, they live down the hall. I own them. I can go dinner. Hey, Steve, sing me a little diddly. That was his everyday normal experience. And that would be pretty amazing, right? Like who wouldn't love Steve Perry just like serenading them all the time? Like I would love that, right? Journey's the best. One of my favorite bands. He had that whenever he wanted, but it wasn't enough. It was never enough for him. He had to keep going after more and different and the next thing. And so the natural progression, right? One thing probably some of y'all would have been wondering, well, I wonder if he did this. Well, it tells us that he also went and he had many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. Now, when we look at 1 Kings 11, we find out, and this is insane, and like, it, it sounds so, so wild, right? We found out that, that Solomon had 700 wives. This guy had a wife, a different wife, before lunch and after lunch for every day of the year. That's a lot of wives, Okay. But not only that, that apparently wasn't enough. He had 300 concubines. And not just like you're running the mill, hey, just, we need to find some people because you know we're running this experiment. No, he's like, you need to go out and find the most beautiful women in the world and make them my concubine. And what this text implies here is that Solomon, and for the sake of all the, the, the little ears in the room, I want to be careful. He had every fantasy of intimate relationships that you could, or encounters, or whatever you want to call them, he he had access, and he probably did anything you could think of. which I think is really striking because in our culture, we are inundated on our phones, through social media, through advertising, at the movies, walking down the street. You can't go into the mall without some sort of intimate uh, graphic kind of thing hitting you right in the face, saying, this is what you need. That single one woman, one man thing, <laughs> that's why you're not sad. So you need to go into the next thing. You need to try this. And Solomon's here right now. So are you kidding me? I had seven hundred wives. I had three hundred concubines, the most beautiful women in the world, with dark hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, dark eyes. They looked at all kinds of different ways, all different shapes. I had them all, and guess what? Still, just hovel, vapor, vanity. None of it could fill the hole in his heart. You know, I read these words and I think about the fact that Solomon was able to do whatever he wanted. In fact, verses 9 through 10 here, they tell us just that. They say that he became greater and surpassed all who were before him in Jerusalem, that all his wisdom remained with him and that whatever his eyes desired, he did not keep from them. He literally did Anything he wanted. He was greater, he was wealthier, he experienced more pleasure than any person that has ever walked this earth and yet it could not satisfy him. And what's convicting about this is that we could probably, especially when we hear the start of chapter 2 when he says that it's all just vanity, we probably would have guessed, yeah, that makes sense. I know that's probably true. But if if we were in Solomon's shoes, if we're being honest and we had the the wealth and we had the status and the position to be able to perform this experiment and do it ourselves, do you know what we would probably do? The same exact thing. I say that because Paul talks about this even after Jesus has come and, and the Holy Spirit has filled people that we live in these sinful bodies. In Romans 6 and 7, we learn that he says like there's things that i know i'm not supposed to do i know that aren't going to satisfy me and i know they're sinful are going to break the heart of god but those are the very things i do he says and the things i, I want to do that i know are good that honor god that that to lift up those around me that that bring glory to his name those are the very things i don't do and so it's it's amazing because with this experiment that solomon is it is embarking on it is really it's, it's like an indictment of who we are as people that, that we are in such a desperate need of Jesus because every one of us are drawn to one of these things. For you, it may not be wealth. It may be thinking that, hey, if I could just meet that, meet that, um, that right man or that, white, that right woman, that will finally satisfy me. It might, be, it might be that entertainment side of things. Oh man, if I just had a greater collection, if I could just finish that perfect thing or, or maybe if your yard was more immaculate and you could just build more and you could just do more and your business was this and your, your business was that. Like we all have these things that our hearts are just drawn to thinking this is gonna be the thing. I know that thing before was kind of similar and it didn't work out but it's because it wasn't this. And solomon here in this experiment he shows us that it doesn't matter he did it all everything under the sun he has tried he's tried it all anything apart from needing god he's done it and yet verse 11 tells us that then i considered all that my hands had done and the toil i had expended in doing it and behold all was vanity and striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun you know when he says there that i considered it's this idea that he was met straight in the face with everything that he had done that there's this moment Where it's just brought up right before him like when you're a kid and you get caught by your parents doing you something you you know you're not supposed to be doing and there's no way out and you're like oh gosh i have to deal with this thing right i have to i have to face the piper that's what's happening here and it's with himself and all that he had done and while his hopes were to find something the realization was was just as he had always expected Vanity, hovel. So then, what are we supposed to do? Because listen, we, if you look at the end of chapter 2, it, he's not saying that gaining wealth is bad. I think the Bible talks about gaining wealth in, a, in an honorable means to be able to glorify God and to be able to use to bless the world around you. That's good. Right? It's not that marriage is bad. Relationships are bad. No, the Bible talks about he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Everything that he went after, for the most part, I would say besides the 300 concubines, uh, right? All that stuff was good. But it became sinful and empty. Why? Because it was trying to replace the only thing in our life that we really need, and that's Jesus. That's why Paul can talk about. I've found the secret to life. What is it? It's contentment in Jesus. It's such contentment in Jesus that when he looks around at all the things that the world has to offer, it's just a, a steaming pile, right? He uses some pretty foul language to describe that. In comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, everything that this world has to offer, it's just it's just crap. That's how good Jesus is, and that's how awful all the stuff the world has to offer is apart from Him. Nothing under the sun can satisfy. And that's why I love John chapter 6, verses 48 through 50. Jesus here is speaking, and he says that I am the bread of life. He says, your fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. But this, speaking of himself, is the bread that comes down from heaven. Why? So that one may eat of it and not die. Why? So that one may eat of it and actually be filled, actually be satisfied, actually find meaning. Jesus here, he says these words in John chapter 6 after he had just fed thousands of people by taking a couple of loaves of fish and a a loaves of bread. Excuse me, loaves of fish, that'd be impressive. Uh, He could probably do that too, right? A couple loaves of bread and some fish and he feeds thousands of people. And you'd think they'd go, wow, that's amazing. But then Jesus comes back, he says, you think that's bread. But guess what? That's not bread. I'm bread. The bread that I have just done for you, just like the bread that that my Father in heaven provided for your ancestors that were wandering around in the wilderness because of their their faithlessness. It was literally called manna. It was bread from heaven. They didn't even know what it was. That was just this miracle that God was doing to provide for them, even in their rebelliousness. He's like, that stuff was good, but guess what? They ate that and they died. He said, I'm true manna. I'm true bread, I've come down from heaven. And I have given myself as an offering to you to eat so that in me, in knowing me and trusting in me and turning from yourself and your pursuit, just like Solomon is in here, this pursuit to find meaning and person, uh, purpose and satisfaction in all the stuff this world has to offer, He's like, it won't cut it. I'm the bread. The good news is that this bread doesn't grow old. Doesn't get mealy or moldy or stale. No, it is fresh bread every day. Every moment with Jesus is life-giving. So Solomon here, he's, he's ex- doing this experiment for us so that we don't have to walk down that road any longer. Young person, you hear me? You think that that girl is gonna do it for you? Listen, Solomon has gone down that road for you. She won't. Dad, you think... That if you just make a little bit more money this year so you can provide that vacation for your family that your kids will love you more your wife will respect you more guess what it's not going to cut it for you whatever it is that you're pursuing after right now that doesn't need jesus is only going to leave you empty but if you will turn from that and and turn to him and say, God, I'm just going to rest in you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to be satisfied with knowing you. And I believe that you're going to provide. The good news is this. All of that stuff, that money you do make, that vacation you do go on, that, that new relationship that you get to jump into, that beautiful baby that comes into this world, it will be an absolute gift from God to you. As opposed to the very thing that makes you feel worthless and meaningless. So I want to pray right now, and I just want to challenge you to search your heart. What are you pursuing? Are you being like Solomon right now in your life, and maybe you had no idea? Listen, today is the day that you can turn to Jesus. Whether you're a believer, or today is the first time you've ever even heard about this guy. Listen, he loves you. He died for you. He wants to give you life, and life to the full. Every way possible. Why? Because he's a good father. Won't you pray with me? God, I thank you for Ecclesiastes. I thank you, Lord, that you don't hide the ugliness of life from us, that you show us that we can run to all kinds of things, and your people don't always get it right. Yet there you are as a perfect Savior as a high priest who understands our experiences and our pains and our sorrows in every single way outside of sin. And you gave yourself for us so that we might know you, know your Father, to be able to experience true life, not just now, but for all eternity. And God, I just pray that if for every person here today, myself included, that when we wake up in the morning, The first thing that our souls be so aware of is that we are hungry for true bread for you. Because nothing in this world will ever be enough. Only Jesus will satisfy our souls. God, I pray today that we'll do that. We'll turn to you and start our life anew in you. I pray these things in Jesus' name.